Fiction and reality. New stories, new ideas. Little Beth Entertainment. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Model Rocket Show at themodelrocketshow.com. I'm your host, The Rocket Noob, and this is Episode 6, James Duffy. We're going to talk to James about scale modeling. We're going to talk about FAI competition, and we're going to talk a little bit about his company, Space Monkey Models, which makes the most detailed V2 model. It is a static model, but it can be converted to a flying model rocket. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. And uh, guys, this is just this was just such a fun conversation, regardless of whether you're into scale modeling or not, whether you're into uh, competition rocketry or not, which not a lot of people do these days. Uh, the FAI is the, the international competition. Uh, regardless of that, this was just a really, really fun chat between two rocketeers. And it's coming up in five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the Model Rocket Show, a podcast that is all about low and mid-power model rockets, like the ones you buy at hobby stores and fly in a park. And now, here is your host, Daniel the Rocket Noob. All right, folks, let's get right to this conversation with James Duffy on the Model Rocket Show at themodelrocketshow.com. All right, James Duffy, welcome to the Model Rocket Show. How you doing? Doing great. Glad to be here, Daniel. Uh, so you uh, do a lot of scale modeling and you do a lot of competition. So why don't you start us off and talk about these areas that you kind of specialize in? So that's right. I do do a lot of scale models. In fact, it might be better to think of me as a scale modeler who happens to put motors in his models occasionally rather than a rocketeer. That I know that that might sound a little backwards, but that's kind of the way I come at this. Um, I steal a lot of techniques from the scale modeling world, the static scale modeling world, and I repurpose them for the, the model rockets that I build. I do almost exclusively scratch building at this point. Uh, once in a while, I'll, I'll branch off and do a kit, but, but the things I want to build generally don't have kits available. And then I have this bad habit of going overseas to fly them, which is the really fun part. And risky, I imagine, too. It, it, there's, there's, there's a risk-reward equation in play, definitely. Yeah. But uh, I wouldn't trade any of my experiences for any of the crashed rockets I've had. Because, I mean, you know, I, I, I get nervous just transporting my sport models to a field an hour and a half away uh and you know i wrap them up carefully in paper towels but you actually have to go on a plane and trust your models to baggage handlers luggage (laughs) luggage is not idle talk with us we will have in-depth conversations about what kind of luggage we're going to take with us well that actually might not be a bad thing that we'll get into uh in a little bit but you mentioned scratch building. Now, uh, there was a very impressive, it was a picture of you of a very impressive, large scale Little Joe one on the cover of uh, Sport Rocketry magazine a couple of years ago. And I have the impression that I saw that in person at Narcon, although maybe I imagined it uh, a, a year or two ago. You want to talk about that one? So, what you saw was a 112th scale model of the Little Joe LJ-1A round, which flew from Wallops Island in 1959. It was used to test the escape tower system 
for Project Mercury. And that was one of many Little Joe models that I've built over the years. I started building Little Joes, I want to say in 1998, and have probably built 15 of them over the years in varying scales. And that's kind of the the ultimate expression of what I've done with the Little Joe prototype. What it kind of what led to and what did it what did it fly on? It flew on a cluster of two F forty two motors and four A ten PT. That's the plugged motor that Estes sells. F's and A's. That's an unusual cluster, isn't it? That's yeah. I'm the only person in the world flying F's and A's, and it also staged to a B six two that was housed in the base of the the Mercury capsule to give it a simulated staging effect for the for the uh, uh, the, the escape tower. Well, it, it, it was it simulated the escape tower. I haven't figured out how to get the how to get the motors into the nozzles yet, but uh, that maybe yeah. we'll get to that at some point. And it was a very impressive model. And thank you. Th- wh- why did why did you use F's and A's for that? Was it was there a reason for it being those that that combination? Well, it, it goes back to the, the the history of the model, the Mercury Little Joe series was designed to fly on clusters of either six or eight motors, uh, either two or four big motors and four small motors. Okay. So this particular round, because we're, we're going after the historical accuracy, flew on two big motors and four little motors. So that was, a, that was that, actually that, a scale that decision. combination came from. It was, absolutely. Okay. And what, it, what led to your obsession with the Little Joe? There's something unique about that particular prototype. The, the, the big fins, the, the short stubby airframe, also that the diaphanous structure of the escape tower. There's so many things going on at once with that particular prototype that I was just really drawn to it. And it all started with a garage kit that I got in 1998 from a guy in Michigan named Yita Wu, um, who was selling a, a very simple kit made of uh, Centuri two-inch tubing and a section of Estes BT-70 combined with that Estes Mercury capsule. And uh, I got that. That was my first taste of scratch building and uh, first taste of a garage kit. And I really enjoyed it, and it just sent me down this pathway. And here I'm now talking to you on a podcast. Well, you know, I I, I had first heard of the Little Joe rocket not too long ago. It was before, I think. I, it was either right after I got into model rocketry, which has only, for me, been six years. Uh, I think it was probably right after that. And I was looking for podcasts, and this one and the rocketry show didn't exist yet. But I found one called... Uh, space rocket history. And, uh, he was talking about the Mercury program and the little Joe rocket, which he said reminded him of an Estes model rocket. And, you know, it really, and I that's never, a great I description. It is, yeah, it and, is a great big, uh, scaled up hobby rocket. It, it is four or eight or six rather solid rocket motors and passive fins. There's nothing. It's kind of goofy it. looking too. Yeah, it is. Yeah, There's it a looks kind of very a Buck much Rogers vibe to it. Yeah, it does. It has a kind of a, a goofy 1950s sci-fi look to it. 
Uh, and I went, when I was listening to this particular podcast, I'd never seen one. And then I saw it and I was, oh, oh yeah, definitely. But you actually had the opportunity. To, there is a, a current model of the, the little Joe one uh, that Estes has. And you had the opportunity to play around with a prototype. Is that right? It, it, yeah. It, it, as a matter of fact, about four years ago, I got an email from John Boren of Estes asking if I would share some of my scale data. Of course, I was happy to. And uh, we talked a little bit via email about how an Estes Little Joe might go together. And I described that Yitawu kit to him. And uh, essentially, the kit that Estes sells today is, is a modern interpretation of that Yitawu garage kit, albeit with uh, some significantly upgraded parts. There's the, the plastic injection molded thrust structure on there. And uh, you also get decals with that. Now, the decals, I, I, if I recall correctly, I took the, the file for the decals on my 112 scale, Little Joe, and simply resized them into the scale that John was going to work with. And mm. uh, that's what's in the kit today. So that's my claim to fame. I, 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 there's a little bit <laughs> of me in an Estes kit out there, and I, 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 can, I can go to bed and sleep well at night knowing that. And uh, you, I know that you said this before, but tell us a little bit about the the Little Joe Two. Your impressions of that kit? So the I, I mentioned earlier, I, I'll, I'll build a kit occasionally. Um, the Little Joe Two kit that Estes released about three or four years ago, I think, is the most remarkable model rocket kit ever built. Everything is right about that particular kit, and it built up into such a a remarkable, realistic-looking model. And when I built mine, I want to say it only took about 20 hours to do. So it's a great introduction to serious scale modeling. If, if you follow the directions and follow some of the, t- the tips that exist out there on the web, uh, in particular, there's an extensive build thread on the Rocketry Forum, you will end up with a really good-looking, very accurate kit. Now, I've toyed a little bit with scale kit building, basically, but this whole building models in general thing is new to me with model rocketry, which, as I've said, it's been about six years for me. Um, So I, you know, I tried to build model airplanes when I was a kid. I was not very good at it. I didn't know, didn't really know what I was doing. I just messed, it was just a pile of plastic and gobs of glue. So where did you pick up the skills or how did you learn how to, because you've, you've built, I've seen some of these rockets that you've built and they're very impressive and very nice looking. And they, well, they thank don't, you. you're, you're they, far too kind. They don't look to me like, well, I don't see any mistakes in them. And I just wonder, you know, with scale modeling in particular, like a sport model's easy. It's a tube, it's a nose cone, it's some fins, it's some paint. But well, then in you effect, get that's in, all the scale model is too. What's the difference between say an alpha three and the Estes Black Brant 3 kit. There's very little daylight between those two. They're both a tube. They're a nose cone. They're three fins. The only place where there's really a, a, a difference in attitude or in practice is in the painting and the detailing. So the differences aren't as great as you might think. Um, now, as the models become more complex, that might change. Yeah. Um, for instance, I'm looking over here on a, a shelf of built models that I have right now. 
And uh, one of the things that uh, is most impressive on that is a very simple as does Nike smoke. Uh, this is mm-hmm. the large, uh, I think it's about a 2.2 inch kit that they offered six to eight years ago. Um, yeah. I want to say I put three hours total into that. It's, it's four fins and a nose cone. And then I stole some additional paint details from Peter always rockets of the world. Yeah. So, so it's just, it's just a, a, a change in mindset, but only a little minor tweak to get from sport models to scale models. Well, I say, I'll say that's one of the things that I like about sounding rockets because sounding rockets to me, they're kind of like sport models. They're pretty simple. And, um, I, I find them absolutely right. And here's a great example of that. Yeah. So, so, um, sounding rockets are in effect, large, high power rockets. No yeah. different than what you would see on a Tripoli range or on a, a NAR range for someone flying larger rockets. And there's no real hard dividing line between there. There was the program several years ago where a group of amateurs from all over the United States put a high power model rocket, I should say a high power amateur rocket, into space um, using motors and components they built themselves. Well, that very same design is now a commercial sounding rocket offered by a firm called Up Aerospace. So there's no dividing line there between the hobby side of the brain and the professional sounding rocket side of the brain there. Yeah, and it uses, I mean, when you get in a composite propellant, it uses the same propellant. They're they're fin stabilized and they're not you know, they, you, they don't have to keep a payload, a, a living payload alive. So that's, uh, you know, you don't have all the life support systems and escape towers and things you Absolutely would have with right. like a Saturn V. And so I think that's one of the things that I find appealing. As a matter of fact, one of the early sounding rockets and, and I, I think first or one of the first model rocket kits was the Aero High. And you look at that and it's a scale model, but it, it doesn't look like a real rocket. It looks like a model rocket. And that's because that's what the Aero High looked like. It looked like a big model rocket. Um, that's kind correct. of goofy, three big, Keep big mind, goofy though, kind of fins. When, when G. Harry Stein designed that kit back in the late 50s, early 60s, the standards were a whole lot different. The, the point was to just simply get a rocket onto the pad and get it into the air. And yeah. appearance was absolutely secondary back in those days. True. Yeah, that's true. But then some of those early sounding, like the WAC Corporal as well. You look at a WAC Corporal and it's it's pretty simple. And a, a scale model WAC Corporal kind of looks like a WAC Corporal. You know it I mean? does. <laughs> and that's what I really like about that. Um, uh, you... So you have, there are two prototypes you, you say you've, you've focused on. And, and I'm just, when I say you say, this is based on notes that you sent me. There was the, uh, the Mercury Little Joe, which we talked about in the bumper whack. When you talk about that. Right. The bumper whack uh, became a, a pretty significant prototype for me because of my involvement in FAI competition rocketry. The can you tell us what for, the bump, can you, I'm sorry, can you tell us what, what the, is the I mean, bumper whack? What is the bumper whack for those who okay. don't know? So the bumper whack, well, first off, you have to back up and talk about the V2. The V2 is is where all rockets come from today. Every rocket that you see today can somehow trace either design, 
purpose, or even attitude back to the V2. Uh, it, it is it is the mother of all rockets. Of course, it was a, a German weapon that was repurposed following World War II in America as a research rocket and a training vehicle. And the same thing also happened in the Soviet Union, where the, the, the Russians did effectively the same thing. But kind of the ultimate expression of the post-war use of the V2 was what was called the Bumper Whack Project. And in this project, what happened was that a V2 had the top of its nose cone cut off and a whack corporal sustainer stage was placed in there. And it was the first practical two-stage rocket. It was flown five times from White Sands and then twice at what eventually became Cape Canaveral. It was the first rocket, as a matter of fact, ever flown from today's Cape Canaveral off of Launchpad 3. Now, don't ask me why Launchpad 3 was the first pad used. That, uh, that's <laughs> somebody else's doctoral thesis. But, but it, 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 because of that, it holds a very particular and special place in the history of rocketry. And I think there's still a tradition of the when you, you talk about that they took the uh they took the the v2 and they hacked off the top of it and they crammed another rocket on top of that um you know and and the sounding rocket program still does that where they'll sort of like they'll hack together or cobble together a sounding rocket um out of parts that they have lying around the motor might be from that's, a, that's absolutely right so it's not a it special build described it's, to me yeah. It, it, right. So the, it was once described to me that Wallops Island is like a Taco Bell. There's only <laughs> six things in the kitchen, but they can take those six different things and combine them in any way they want to get the yeah. performance they want. Bumper whack was simply the first expression of that attitude. Uh, so and so this tell us a little bit how this ties into FAI rocketry. So that, that's a great question. So there was a period of time in when the FAI rulebook for the scale altitude event was very favorable to a prototype that had a fat booster and a skinny sustainer. Well, no, no rocket fits that bill better than the bumper wax. So there was a period of time from about 1998 through 2014 where everybody all across the world was building bumper wax for the, the scale altitude event. Um, as a matter of fact, Tony Reynolds was the first person ever to win a gold medal in scale altitude uh, with a bumper whack model. He did that in 2004. And uh, the guy in second place just behind him was me. So uh, <laughs> the bumper whack holds kind of a special place for, for that particular purpose. And talk to us about what is what is FAI competition. So FAI competition is a model rocketry competition that takes place on a worldwide scale. Uh, the FAI, it's an acronym that in French stands for Federation Aeronautique Internationale. It is the world governing body for air sports. Everything from... Uh, spacecraft all the way down to rubber band model airplanes are governed by different parts of the FAI sporting code. They promote STEM education and competition worldwide for both models and full-size aircraft and spacecraft. 
Space modeling is one element of that. Uh, the space modeling activity within FAI was heavily promoted and essentially founded by G. Harry Stein back in the 60s. And he worked tirelessly for many, many years throughout the 60s. And finally, in 1972, the first world championships for, for space models or model rockets were held in Yugoslavia, today part of Serbia. And uh, the, the world championships have taken place roughly every two years since that time. And you've been, uh, how many have you flown? Uh, I, I've been to so many. I've been on every U.S. team since 2002. Yeah. Uh, I'm not right in the head. i really not. I, <laughs> to, to, to build model rockets, I mean, think about the absurdity of this. I build model rockets obsessively. I pack them into Pelican cases. I entrust them to airlines. Yeah. I fly to former Soviet client states where there are allegedly motors waiting for me. And then I fly them against a bunch of people who I can barely communicate with. That's, that's, that's so much fun. And it sounds so twisted, but it's really a ball. It sounds, it sounds like a blast. Uh, let's talk a little bit about traveling with these models because you must have to, you must take great care to pack these so that they don't get damaged. And that's you probably absolutely still have, right. Uh, something yeah. like the little Joe, for instance, the little Joe's a very large model. It's roughly four and a half feet tall. Uh, it weighs right at two and a half pounds. I know that that's kind of a mismatch there. How, how do you get a, a model that big to weigh that little? Uh, but when I designed it and when I built it, I took care to make sure that parts were detachable and could be Mm -hmm. packaged with a mind to future transport. Uh, For instance, each of the fins come off, the the capsule, the escape tower can all be packaged separately. And all of that fits into a very carefully fitted Pelican case, just like the scene in all the James Bond movies where he opens up the fancy case with all the, 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 foam fitted to the weapons or the tools it's going to use. That's exactly what I've got for the little Joe. So the other thing that's really a challenge about that is you have to anticipate what you're going to need literally on the other side of the world. Right. I walked down the flight line at a, a model rocket event here in the U.S. My local club, the Austin Area Rocketry Group, has a monthly launch. And I see guys with a, a pickup bed filled with rockets and tools and there's the pop-up and chairs and an igloo cooler. We can only dream about having all of those things available to us on the other side of the world. We've right. got to condense it down to the bare essentials. And I, I've devoted a lot of thought, as have all my friends on the team, into how do we get the bare minimum that we need, but also that we're not lacking for something once we get over there. Yeah. And that's a challenge. It really is. It's, it's a tough equation to solve. And if you can't, if you forget anything, it's, it's just not there. It's <laughs> hey, no buddy, driving back home. There, there's no Home Depot in the middle yeah. of Romania. No. <laughs> so have you ever had any damage? I've been very fortunate. I've never had a model damaged in transit. They've certainly been damaged in flight, but never in in transit. And I'm going to knock on wood because I'm a suspicious person. Um, yeah. I've probably doomed myself for the future. Um, but I've been very fortunate. Now, I've had teammates who've had challenges 
where things have arrived damaged. In particular, yeah. the guys who fly the radio control rocket gliders, yeah. um, they face some unique challenges. They have to take two big radio control rocket gliders to fly with, plus all of their launch gear, which tends to be a little bit larger than a standard launch pad, and figure out how to get that overseas. They use uh, the ski tubes and uh, golf club carriers and all kinds of different things to get all that gear over there. I can't, I can't imagine. I mean, I've traveled internationally. Well, you uh, need to try it. But... You're going to have an opportunity <laughs> with any luck at all. You're going to have an opportunity to participate in a world championships. Uh, the United States has submitted a bid to host the 2022 world space modeling championships. Ooh. Uh, now the bid is pending right now because of all the, the current COVID nonsense. Yeah. Uh, we anticipate that the championships that was scheduled to take place in 2022 will in fact take place a year later. So it'll probably be the 2023 championships, but we're confident that we've assembled a great bid and we certainly hope that when it's voted on at a future FAI meeting, that we're going to come out ahead on that. It's been 1992 since the last championships was held in the U.S. Keep in mind, we're the guys who invented model rocketry. So right. it's time for this activity to come back to the United States for its pinnacle event. And so anyone who wants to get involved, especially in this upcoming uh, event, which is happening here in the United States, how, where, is there, is there a website or is there a place you can learn more about how to get started building these models or how to get involved in FAI competition on the NAR website down in the competition area, you'll find an extensive uh, repository of information on international space modeling, how to get started, the current rule book, who to contact if you have interest in a particular event. And uh, there's lots of resources out there and lots of people willing to help. Um, we, we hope to expand the team significantly. Uh, if we win this particular bid, we have the opportunity to field as many as 48 people on an extended U.S. team. And uh, we're, we're going to be looking for more people to get involved either flying or helping to run the contest if we win the bid, if our bid is successful. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and talk about our sponsor, and we'll be right back. All right, it's time to talk about our sponsor, eRockets.biz, your home for unique model rocket kits, as well as the world's largest selection of model rocket parts from SEMROCK. In business since 2009, eRockets doesn't just stock many of your favorite in-production kits, they also produce their own versions of popular out-of-production models many of you have come to enjoy over the years. And what I want to tell you about today, since our guest is talking a lot about scale modeling, is some of the scale models you can get at eRockets. First of all, if you check out the Aerotech Kit tab, you will find the Astra BD. This is a nice, tall, long, slender rocket uh, that has a 29-millimeter motor mount, flies on anything from F to G motors, and if you really want to push it, you could probably stick an H in there. It is a nice, tall, long, beautiful, beautiful model, and it retails for $99.99 on eRockets.biz. ASP, Aerospace Specialty Products, has a whole line of various sized scale models, uh, so you can, you can buy scale models for for anything from, say, 13-millimeter motors, mini 
motors up to 29 millimeter motors and they've got lots of things on the ASP page if you go you look at uh, various Aerobe rockets several versions of the Black Brant they got several different sizes of the Corporal missile they've got uh, the Super Loki dart sounding rocket three different sizes of V2 for everything from a little mini 13 millimeter motors up to 24 millimeter and they've got several different iterations of the WAC Corporal both single stage and two stage rockets and those can you can build those to fly on anything from 18 millimeter motors up to their nice big 29 millimeter model and they've got several d region tomahawks from little mini ones that fly on 13 millimeter up to nice big tall ones that fly on 29 millimeter Um, these are kits that you can keep them simple or you can add lots and lots of detail if you're a, a skilled builder a lot of cool stuff from asp uh, finally, there's Rocketarium, and I really like Rocketarium kits. They are nice, solidly built. Uh, most of them, if not all of them, are BT-60 sized, and they've got all kinds of stuff. They've got a number of black brands. They've got some Tomahawks. They've got some uh, various uh, Asian-sounding rockets, uh, and uh, these you've got some single-stagers. You've got some two-stagers. Uh, they've even got one called the Arcturus, which, which is a... Uh, uh, a rocket that was designed that was never actually built. Uh, they, they come with uh, really nice parts and baffles, and you can also get their aluminum motor retainers for 18 or 24 millimeter motors. So if you want to put those on your your Rocketarium kits or your scratch builds, those are really nice retainers. You can get all this stuff at erockets.biz. If you need parts for your own custom builds, erockets.biz supplies the Semrock line of airframes, nose cones, centering rings, motor mounts, and so much more. Erockets has more rocket parts available than anyone on Earth. So check out erockets.biz today to learn more. erockets.biz. If rocketry scares you, buy a train set. Now here's one of the coolest, most exciting products I've seen in a long time. Just imagine the thrill and excitement of launching your own real rocket into the heavens. Reach altitudes of over a thousand feet and then watch your rocket majestically return back to Earth on its own colorful parachute. These amazing rockets can be launched over and over again. Just replace the rocket motor for each new flight. For propulsion, they use the new QJet composite propellant model rocket motor from Aerotech West. This revolutionary high-performance rocket motor uses the same family of propellant as the space shuttle booster. Aerotech West has successfully miniaturized NASA technology, so now you can create your own private space program and launch whenever and wherever you wish. They feature complete star designs, dozens of awesome rocket kit designs, a complete line of high-performance composite propellant model rocket motors, plus launch pads, launch controllers, and many accessories. Check out their entire line of incredible model rocketry products at aerotech-rocketry.com or questaerospace.com. Armed and counting, three, two, one, blast off. Daniel loves your model rocket questions. If you have any, send them to noob at themodelrocketshow.com. That's N-0-0-B at themodelrocketshow.com. Now, back to Daniel. All right, we are back with our guest, James Duffy. And uh, James, uh, when we were off on a break, you started talking about this virtual space modeling competition. We want to talk about that a little bit? Absolutely, I'd like to talk about that. So... As, as you and I are recording this, we're in the midst of virtual NARAM, uh, a, an effort by Don Carson and Chris Flanagan to bring the U.S. rocketry community together in lieu of not having a NARAM this year. And people are able to fly competition events wherever they are and submit the, the results for a virtual contest. It's a great idea. 
uh, we've decided to just do the obvious next step and do a virtual international event. And uh, at the close of virtual NARAM, we are going to begin the World Space Modeling Virtual Open Contest, which will be a worldwide version of NARAM that uses uh, rules that are very similar to the FAI rules. And uh, look for that. I can't say more about it at this point, but it's a great opportunity to kind of dip your toe into the, the FAI end of the pool. And if you've got a scale model, it, it's perfectly legal for FAI competition. If you've built that Estes Little Joe 2, hey, enter it in the FAI competition and, and you won't win. I guarantee that. But you know what? You'll, <laughs> you'll take part and you'll have a great time and you'll be flying against the best in the world. And some of uh, some of the these scale modelers, and I, I have only I only know the American scale modelers because I've only had the opportunity to meet them. But I've seen at Nar- Narcon a couple of seasons ago some of these uh, some of these models that that uh, you built and uh, Matt Steele built and uh, Mike Novak and others built. And these, a lot of these are, are, I mean, they're all scratch builds and you've had to come up with your own techniques and your own ways of building them. I know you like to build jigs to make individual parts for your rockets. Can you talk a little bit about that? Right. I I never build a part for a rocket. I never start from that perspective. If I need to build a fin, for instance, I'll use, let's use the fin on the little Joe model as, as an example. Instead of building a fin, I made, uh, patterns for embossing the rivet detail. And then I made alignment jigs to help me attach that embossed styrene skin onto the balsa core. And there were other laser cut pieces that fit into the end of that balsa core to help attach it to the airframe. So like I said earlier, I'm thinking several steps ahead. Um, That's a great example of that. There are multiple molds and jigs and patterns that all go into that one fin piece. Now, here's the part that I really, really like people to understand. None of that is hard. That's all easy. Uh, uh, The difference between a complex rocket or a complex project of any type is breaking it down into lots and lots of little simple logical things that can be accomplished and then doing those things in a, in a logical sequence so that the end result looks really stupendous. Yeah. And it if you can build an quite, alpha, you can build a fancy scale model. It sounds challenging. I mean, I I'll say that it sounds to me like you, what this, what you do reminds me of an enlightenment scientist who's building the machines to build the telescope that he's going to use grinding his own lenses and, and things like that, because you're making all the parts, the precision parts to make the precision parts to make the thing that you're trying to make. And so if you break all that down, of course, each part is simple. It does one thing. Uh, but I imagine there's a lot of thought that has to go into this before you build a model. It's not like just opening a package. You're absolutely right. And each model you build will inform the next. Mm -hmm. So there's a reason I've built 15 or more Little Joe models over the years. Um, Every one I built, I learned something new that I could apply to the next model, or I learned that something didn't work as well that I could avoid for the next model. 
Do you work on multiple projects at once? I do. I shouldn't, but I do. <laughs> um, for instance, right now, I have... A, let me look around my workshop right now. I have... Uh, I have a Black Brant 3 for scale altitude in process. Mm -hmm. I've got a Little Joe, Mercury Little Joe that I need to refurb for next year's world championships. Yeah. And this, this is going to throw people off a little bit. I've got an old Estes Maxi Brute X-Wing fighter <laughs> that uh, I'm, I'm just going nuts on it. I, I, I've spent probably 40 hours on each wing. So, wow. so uh, there's something not right in my head that makes me do these things. But, yeah. but when I'm done with it, it's going to be pretty spectacular. Uh, I, you know, I, well, it's funny. I mean, I have, I'm trying to complete everything that I have uh, going at one time. And it's really difficult. I've got uh, an Estes Pro Series Nike Smoke that I started three years ago. And I put primer on just the body tube a year ago and it's just been sitting there waiting for me to sand it. I've got, I've got a model that is just, I'm just building at, to, as a, as a decoration basically for little noobs room. I have a series of scratch build rockets that I'm, I'm, I've got a project that I'm don't know if I want to talk about yet uh, that I'm going to try and test something out with, but it requires building like 10 or 12 of the same model. I've got my Fliss kits, a rocket. I've got a, you know what I have actually on the build pile and it's, it's, I just need to paint it, uh, is, uh, a, a D region Tomahawk that I bought from you on eBay. Uh, and I started that months ago, uh, because, uh, you know, I bought it and I, it was a, it was a, a model that you, you had, it was an open package. Uh, and so I decided, well, that's open. And I bought yeah, it I decided I, I didn't need any more projects. So, yeah. so I passed well, it on to the next guy. Well, you know, <laughs> the thing is I love, I, I love the D region Tomahawk and I've, I, I love the way it looks. And I, I, so when I've seen them, I bought one and I haven't finished one. Uh, and I thought I had like three or four. And then I realized I had more than I realized than I thought. <laughs> and so, uh, when I bought that one from you, uh, you know, and I, 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 we've, we've met and, you know, connected with each other on, on social media and stuff. Um, I thought, well, and it's an open package. I thought, well, I'm going to build this one first. Uh, and so I, that's what I've started using my airbrush on. And since we moved, I put the airbrush away and now I've got all my airbrush stuff out. And I have to say, I, even though I've used it before, I, there's something about airbrush where I'm a little oh, there, nervous to start it again. There, there's, there's definitely a learning curve Yeah, and you have to, you kind of reascend that first part of the learning curve every time you break out the airbrush Yeah, and little minor variations in humidity or the position of the sun or how much cat hair is in the air that day will completely yeah. change the way your airbrush behaves. So yeah, I know that pain yeah. and yes. And uh, well, what's funny is I told you that you, uh, you that I, I bought this, this model from you and then you sent me a surprise. Uh, you have a little, you have a little company called space monkey models. Sure. So, so there's a great story here. I, I mentioned the bumper whack earlier. Many years ago, we were at a world championships and we were, we were beer lofting after the day's activities. Um, and somebody held up a water bottle 
and said, wouldn't it be great if we could build a rocket like this? And something snapped in my head in that moment. And I realized that was the perfect way to build the airframe structure for a V2. Mm -hmm. It was this epiphany. I can remember it clear as day. A couple years prior to that, uh, as part of my, my job, I'd been exposed to injection molding. We had a special project at work where injection molding was being talked about a lot. And I, I subscribed to all the magazines and, and learned in a very short period of time a whole lot about injection molding. So that knowledge and this epiphany about blow molding all kind of came together in this one moment. And I actually started researching what it would take to produce a commercial model of a V2 that would become the basis for bumper whack models that the U.S. team could fly. Yeah. And uh, I did the math and figured out that just doing a few for us would never work. So I set up a little company to market a, uh, a combination blow molded and an injection molded static scale V2. It is the most accurate V2 model you can buy anywhere in the world right now. And, and it please is beautiful. buy several from me. Please, yeah. everyone, go out, spacemonkeymodels.com and buy, 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 yeah. buy. I, spacemonkeymodels.com. But this is, this is, here's the cool, here's another cool thing about this. First of all, it is beautifully built. And you have on your YouTube channel, which is rocket.aero, that's uh, A E R O. Right. A series of a series of build videos detailing how to, you know, if you're unfamiliar with plastic modeling, how best to build this thing so that it is beautiful and it and it looks gorgeous. But you also sent me something that is sold by Apogee Components. If you want to fly this beautifully detailed uh V2 model, which normally it's a static model. So that means it doesn't, it's static. It sits on your desk. It doesn't fly, but you right. can actually convert this. There is a plastic model conversion kit sold by Apogee components specifically for your model. Absolutely. And you can buy the model through Tim at Apogee if you like. He will yeah. sell you both the, the model and the conversion kit if you like. And uh, you can go to town on that. It's a, it yeah. actually builds very quickly. Oh yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I, I was hoping to start it before do, I, I like to try and start a project. If somebody's a vendor before I actually talk to them, I haven't gotten around to it. I've got a lot on my plate at the moment, <laughs> but, uh, it is beautiful and I've got it. And I know I, I'm going to use the, uh, there, there are a whole set. There are several sets of decals that come with this. So you can paint it in its livery for several different historic, uh, V2, right. And here's the cool thing about that. So each kit comes with a set of decals for four different variations, two German wartime variants and two post-war variants. When you're done yeah. building your model, you will have the decals to do three more V2s. Yeah. Those decals work great on the Estes V2 kit. Is it the same scale? It's close enough. It's close enough. Yeah. Yeah. No one's going to complain. Yeah, well, I mean, the Estes, the Estes V2 is pretty cool, but this one is, uh, is just got so many details. As a matter of fact, I, j just by, just by watching the build videos, there are a lot of details on the V2. I mean, I've seen a V2 in person, but I didn't really notice. There are a lot of things I didn't notice. You know, I noticed the, 
sort of pill shaped of the rocket and the big, you know, sort of 1940s goofy sci-fi fins. But there are a lot of details on on the on the the rocket that I didn't never right. noticed and, until and watching everything you put this on the rocket together. has a purpose. Everything is there for a reason. Now you're so obsessed with um, scale modeling that I understand you did earn a, a, a level two high power certification, but you never completed it. Never sent in the paperwork. So, so w- when I when I first started flying with the club, the the thing that everybody wanted to do was go get high power certifications, and I got yeah. my level one very quickly, and I built a level two model and flew it successfully. And I looked at it after I, I put it back in the car after I was done flying. I said, you know what? This isn't me. This isn't right. And yeah. I never got around to sending the paperwork in for my level two certification. Huh. Um, but I, I'm looking across my, uh, my build room right now. And there is a uh, seven foot high, four inch Black Brant three ready to Oof. go for level two as soon as it cools <laughs> down outside. So uh, hopefully you know, we'll, we'll certify again. Well, you know, that's, it's kind of fun in a way because, uh, I mean, I, I, I loved getting my level one certification. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And my one regret was, well, now I have it. So I'm not going to get to do that again, <laughs> you know? Right. You know, what's the saying, you know, take the time to smell the flowers. Yeah. I, I think too many people get too. I don't want to say goal oriented because goals are good, but but speeding through certifications and speeding through a bunch of kits, you don't want to burn out. Um, yeah. Variety is the spice of life. Yeah. A lot of people do rush toward high power when they find out, oh, this is an option. And, uh, you know, I wanted to do it and I did it and and I, I enjoyed it. And, um, you know, I'll fly some more high power stuff, but I've only flown one high power motor. A lot of those rockets I build, I fly mid power. and I like low power. Every now and then I'll see someone on the forum say, why would you even bother putting, building a rocket, a low power rocket, if you could do high power? And it's like, well, why bother doing any of this really? (laughs) You know, Um, because it's fun because it's, you can do it for a lot less, a lot less money. There's, it's a different skill set building a small rocket. I love going to an organized launch and watching guys line up to fly $400 motors. Yeah. And (laughs) I thank them heartily for that. And then when they fly them to 10,000 feet, I love waving goodbye to them as they go to look for it three yeah. farms over. So, uh, you know, I'll walk, uh, I'll walk a quarter mile to go get my, uh, my parachute model. And, uh, yeah. I don't mind that at all. Well, some of those rockets are very spectacular. I love watching them and I do like flying, you know, some, some high power. Um, but, uh, yeah, I get a lot of, I, I find it really fun to fly, I mean, I, the thing that I discovered, uh, a year or two ago was I really like B motors. I never used to, I never would, when I first started out, if I, if, if I could fly a C motor in it, I would never put an A or a B in it. Uh, and then I, I suddenly decided, you know what? I don't want to lose these. And, uh, we had a, a launch on a small, small field. It was a much smaller field than we normally fly on. And so I've just used B motors and I had a great time all day. You can't beat a B-62. It's the universal motor. 90% of all model rockets can be flown in a B-62. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it uh, makes for a nice berth of flight, nice big berth of flight. Absolutely. Um, can we talk a little bit about scale tips? You have some tips for scale modelers. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, number one is build a bunch of models. 
everything you do will, will help make your, on one model, will help make the next one better. Uh, make lots of mistakes. Mistakes are a great way to learn. The other thing about larger projects, and this is kind of my big overriding thesis for everybody who asks this question, a big project is best viewed as a bunch of little projects done in a logical sequence. We already talked about that. So um, don't think so much in terms of building an Estes Saturn V. Think in terms of how can I build just the capsule and make it as good as I possibly can. So um, the other is don't focus on making parts. We mentioned that earlier. Make jigs, make masters, make molds, make alignment parts, um, make masks for painting, make drawings, make 3D virtual models that you can 3D print. Focus on those sorts of things, and everything will flow from that. And it'll give you, most importantly, the ability to make multiple copies of something to make it really, really good. That's what I do with my little Joe models. There are, there are three big 112 scale little Joe models sitting up on the shelf here that I can pull down and I can mix and match parts and go fly. Yeah. Um, the other thing, especially if you want to be a, a really, really accurate scale model modeler, learn to make fiberglass and plywood tubes. The, the Little Joe, the 112-square Little Joe, uses a large six-plus-inch plywood tube that is rolled out of 164th-inch plywood. I was going to say, I, I, when you were saying plywood tubes, yeah, so you're talking about very thin plywood. Very thin, paper-thin, roughly the thickness of poster board. That okay. stuff can be cut. Use, use your math from high school and rolled into very nice round tube sections that you can then stack up and, uh, and build into something really, really nice and very, very lightweight. Um, you'll need to put some sort of internal structure inside there. The Little Joe has two 29-millimeter paper tubes that, that run the length of it that contain mm-hmm. the ejection charges, but uh, it's a great way to build exactly the size tube you need. Uh, further... Learn to make fiberglass tubes. All the scale altitude models, the, the black brant models that I build and my teammates build, we make 30 millimeter fiberglass tubes using two wraps of half ounce fiberglass cloth. You heard that correctly. That's not a typo. Two wraps of half ounce fiberglass cloth. We, we're generating tubes that weigh less than 20 grams. Very, and, very lightweight. Uh, are very, very lightweight. And very, very smooth. You don't need to worry about a spiral seam like you would with a paper tube. Right. This one might be a little tricky. Beg, borrow, or steal access to a laser cutter. Nothing changed my life more in the last decade than having access to a laser cutter. A makerspace opened near my home in Austin, and I I joined it. And uh, I made stuff every week uh, that, that... really helped my modeling. I could make launch pad bases. I could make jigs. I could make uh, uh, decal masks rather than yep. applying decals. I laser cut masks, laid those over models, and airbrushed markings onto models, just like they did at the, the launch sites and in the factories. Yeah, There's nothing more accurate than doing it the way it was done 30, 40, 50, 70, 80 years ago. The best tools for modeling today, I think, are digital. Um, I use Excel all the time. 
the uh, I'll, I'll generate a, a scale data worksheet where I have all the dimensions for the real prototype and then all the dimensions for the, the particular scale that I'm building. And if I want to change scales and do a different version in a different scale, just a matter of adding another column over there. I also use Adobe Illustrator all the time. I make workshop drawings. I do decal art. Uh, I do laser cutter files with, uh, with Adobe Illustrator. It, it, it's really a very versatile tool. And finally, learn to use an airbrush. I'm going to go back a, a little over a year or two here, Daniel. You pinged me for tips on how to paint your Saturn V, your Estes Saturn V. Yes. And I seem to recall that my advice to you was paint the thing white from a rattle can and yes. then do all the markings carefully masking off with a, an airbrush and black paint. Yes. And I ended up doing just that. I tried to do the entire model uh, with white uh, from an airbrush and I, I ran out of paint because it was too translucent. Yeah. Large and, areas uh, <laughs> are tough to do with an airbrush. Yeah, yeah. And I do have a large nozzle airbrush. I have two airbrushes with relatively large nozzles, and one of them has a fan cap, so it's almost like a spray gun. Uh, and, uh, you know, I got that for larger projects, but I, I haven't used it that much, and I basically I just ran out of paint. I was using small jars of Tamiya white, and there just wasn't enough paint to go... Uh, as far as I was hoping for it to. So I yeah, ended it's up it's taking to your advice after, large. yeah, after ignoring your advice, I ended up taking your advice because I had to, because <laughs> it was just too much area for that brush. So let, let, let's go back to what, to, to my first tip, learn from others mistakes too. So um, you yeah. just saved somebody a lot of grief there. If you're doing an S to Saturn five, paint it white out of a rattle can first. Yeah. But you know, I, I, I had to, I had to, I had to put the theory to the test. <laughs> and uh, finally, learn to learn to use an airbrush. Yeah. Um, the quality of, of paint coverage you get out of an airbrush is quite unlike that you get from a rattle can. You're doing effectively a miniature version of what was done at the factory when we paint these these models with our airbrushes. Think of the V2. The V2 was was painted in the factory. Uh, with uh, with spray guns, well, you, you miniaturize that, and what have you got? You've got an airbrush. Yes, and I I have uh, recently I haven't I haven't used it yet because uh, as, as I say, it's been a while since I used my airbrush, and I'm a little nervous about it. But uh, I had a can of spray paint that I quite liked the color, but I had a problem with the nozzle, and I ended up decanting it uh, for use in my airbrush. So I have some rattle can paint of a color I like, uh, but I just didn't trust the, I didn't trust the can. So now I've You're got out this on paint. the ragged, ragged edge there, buddy. I have no yeah. idea what's going to happen with that, but I look forward to hearing about it. I, I'm, I'm a little too nervous to use. I mean, I've, I've seen lots of YouTube videos. It's apparently not that uncommon for people to decant their favorite color of spray. And even, even Tamiya, if they have like a can of Tamiya uh, spray paint, paint but they want to they want to airbrush with it they they will decant it uh and use it in the airbrush but um i will i will say i'm, I'm i have been too nervous to try it so well, let us so, all know how that works for you yeah yeah i haven't decided if i'm gonna i'm probably gonna take that outdoors i do a lot of my airbrushing indoors because i use you know water-based paint 
Um, well, I say a lot of my airbrushing. I haven't done that much airbrushing. I, you know, I did it at the old place and I haven't done it since I moved, moved here, but, um, no, that's not true. I did, I did a little bit of airbrushing here. I got myself some Createx, uh, just to, just to sort of break, break back into the habit. And, um, I played around with that, but uh, this, this, uh, decanted Rust-Oleum, I'm a little nervous about. I like the color, but I'm a little nervous about using it and cleaning it up. That's, that's what I'm really nervous about is cleaning it up. Uh, I, I look forward to that post-mortem. We'll see how that goes. Uh, all right. Well, um, thanks a lot, James Duffy for talking to us on the model rocket show. Um, I had a great time talking to you. I thought this was a really fun conversation. You got anything else you'd like to add? Hey, just, uh, Stay tuned on what's going to happen with the world championships. We're really excited about that. Hopefully we can bring the world championships back to the United States in 2023. If we do, we're going to need a lot of people to fly and we're going to need a lot of people to help run the contest. And if that happens, we will let you know on the model rocket show at the model Thank you very much, James. Take care, Daniel. All right, folks, that is our conversation with James Duffy. I hope you liked it. I really had a great time talking to James. So easy to talk to. Uh, really fun conversation. Uh, you can email me at noob at themodelrocketshow.com. That's N-0-0-B, since this is the internet, at themodelrocketshow.com. If you have any questions, if you have any comments, you want to maybe record a message for me, and I can maybe put it on the show if you want. Uh, if you have any show topics you'd like to see covered, you can see our show notes at themodelrocketshow.com, but of course you can listen to the podcast on any of your podcatchers. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show. Uh, if you want to leave us a review on either iTunes or whatever your podcatcher is, if they allow you to do reviews, that always helps people find the show. Um, I'd, I'd love to ask for a five-star review. I always feel weird when people say, hey, give us a five-star review, but I mean, you know, if you like the show. It wouldn't hurt if you gave us a five-star review. Uh, you can always support the show and support The Rocketry Show on Patreon at patreon.com slash The Rocketry Show. And that sort of helps with uh, that show, and it also helps this show because we're sister programs. But really, if you like the show, mainly I just would love you to tell your other Rocketeer friends about it. Whether you're part of a club, whether you're flying on your own, and you just have some friends on the internet who fly. That's how I got started. Nobody, I didn't know anybody personally uh, in, in person who flew. I just knew people on the internet. But regardless, however it is, you know somebody else who flies model rockets. And if you like the show, please just tell them about this show, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. This show is brought to you by the support of our sponsors and listeners. If you wish to support the show for just a few dollars a month, please become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash the rocketry show. Don't forget to check out our sister show, the rocketry show.com, a program that is all about advanced and high power rocketry. The views and opinions expressed on these programs are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of little Beth entertainment or its sponsors.